it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Westwood One Podcast Network. Sometimes you can be out there serving and you're getting your butt kicked and, you know, it's rough and and, uh, you wonder if anybody gives a crap, you know. And I like to remind them on these military bases and war zones and places, hospitals and whatnot, that there are people that give a crap. Never quit. Never quit. Never quit radio. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Don't buckle up, Buttercup. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Team Never Quit podcast. Guys, uh, Marcus made the best prime rib the other night that I'd ever eaten, probably ever. Have you ever had my mother's prime rib? No. Is it amazing too? It's better. Better. I guess you can't expect a Navy SEAL to to do anything half-assed, but uh, can't trump mom's cooking either. Yeah. Yeah, mom. We only get that for Christmas. How did the whole cooking thing start? You have a prime rib? Huh? When did you do that? Thanks for the call. What was that? I was uh last week. I think you were out of town. Week. I must have been out of the planet. No, you're out. Of, you're out of town though. How did I get into the cooking thing? Yeah, Melanie. She she goes into the office. And does the uh, that 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 side of the uh, so marriage kind of husband and wife thing? That's one thing, but then the day to day operations are kind of run like a team environment. So she she braves the traffic and goes into the office. So I I do the landscaping, and then I come in the afternoons and, and uh, start and I cook dinner. Maybe I should do that. I don't. And then uh, it's it's easy because it gets me out of the heat at around three o'clock. Because then I just start prepping for dinner. And I what I had to do was I had to turn the kitchen into the platoon into, into my platoon locker, and every Thing in there is like a tool. I mean, there's knives and all kinds of stuff in there. 
one thing led to another. Like you start with just oh, I learned how to fry an egg. My grandmother used to make the best fried eggs, man. And they I, were so good. They were so good. You never make them. Like never been able to replicate them. I don't it's know if it might. Fr- I guess it was the pan. It must have been the pan. Had to be the pan, right? Yeah, obviously. And her touch or something. And whatever the chicken she pulled it from. <sighs> whatever. Man, they were good. Like golden eggs. They were always so good. And her sweet tea. Oh. <laughs> Boom. Man, love you, Mimi. Nice. Oh, she was Rest something. in peace. Mm. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. So today's Patreon question of the day comes from our friend Gabriella Mara, and she asks... She says, you guys are obviously huge inspirations to everyone, but who was y'all's biggest inspiration? Each other. No one else? No. There's a lot. We'll start with the good Lord, and then we'll go down from that. Um, Benny. So our fr- so every one of the... We have the same friends we've had since we were childhood, you know, grade school. And the reason we have those friends, because each one of them has a strength as we have as a weakness. And then when we're all together, it's just kind of like this perfect kind of wolf pack that runs around, if you will. And then, um, driven off of our friends' successes, it's made us better individuals. You didn't want to fail around them, yeah. No, and, we, and everybody keeps everybody humble. That's what your friends are for. I mean, anybody, no matter how, no matter who you stand, I mean, you next have to, friends, and then you have friends like we have, all right? I mean, other people have that, but I mean, like, literally, they're brothers. I would, we don't even call them friends, family, them brothers. family. Because, you know, people get in a tight spot with their friends, and then they won't, then they'll let them go through that tight spot if, if, if our friends are in something, then we're in it. For instance, if, I, if I'm out here and everyone comes over and I'm outside doing something, they just automatically start doing it. Because it's not work if we're doing it together. It's just us getting to do something together. And, you know, anytime we roll outside the gate, we're usually looking for one or two of us. If three of us get together, then the word will get out and everyone else starts. When we had wives and kids, we had to start, you know, and go do that route. But we're slowly trickling back together. And... um throughout our lives and even when we left so when we left college and we went to the navy all we did was find our doppelganger their doppelgangers because we brought them home and they they look exactly like and act exactly like the friends that we we kind of left uh, we didn't act leave. like huh act like yeah, act like and um does that answer your question i think it answers it thank you gabriella for your uh, question for thank the guys you, Gabby. yep so today we've got a pretty freaking cool guest on gary sinise is an American actor, director, musician, and we're going to talk about his love for the veteran community. You two spot playing, playing. Yeah, doing, doing some cool stuff. Partner. It's going to be an awesome, awesome show. But before we do that, we're going to get to this week's listener story. This guy story. actually knew Forrest Gump. Yeah. What? New, new Forrest Gump. This is the guy that knew Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah. They were on a shrimp boat together. If you love the TNQ podcast, make sure you subscribe to get notified about our latest episode each week. The show is available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much any other podcast player. We've got a ton of great episodes and had some incredible guests, including Cameron Hayes, Brennan Schaub, and Nick Irving, one of the deadliest ranger snipers of all time. 
Do you want exclusive access to the show and bonus behind-the-scenes content? Join us at Patreon. You get exclusive access to behind-the-scenes content, access to the exclusive community. You get things like live quotes. You can actually contribute questions to be asked on the episodes. And you also get rare access to Morgan, Marcus, and all of our incredible guests. If you'd like to help us put out these episodes every week, then join us at patreon.com slash teamneverquit. Let's get into today's show. All right. So, uh, like brother said, I usually, I, I like to do my homework on everybody and, uh, I'm a big fan of yours, sir. So I have like, I have two questions I really want to ask you. Um, but the first, the first one, and when I, when I, when I read this, I was like, man, I got to really ask you, see if this really happened or not. The word on the street is you were one of the only civilians to fly in a U2 spy plane. True or false? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure about uh whether i'm one of the only civilians i i think but i am in a small club of uh uh high flyers that they actually went up to 72,000 feet okay. i actually did that in uh at Beale Air Force Base back in uh, 2012 and uh it's it's pretty cool we have a little video of it on our Gary Sinise Foundation website and it, it was it was a really interesting experience. Just another another opportunity to see what uh, our military uh, does up close and experience that. And uh, um, it actually was about yeah about eight eight years ago or so, seven or eight years ago. Seventy thousand. That's curvature of the earth. That's that's big time. It was it was really uh, you know the the uh, the most taxing part of it. Uh, guys was was the training <laughs> just just getting ready to do it once i once i did it i just kind of sat back and relaxed for two hours and flew around it was a beautiful day up in north uh, up above northern california and you know you've you've got the canopy above your head so you can you can actually look down and it was a beautiful clear day everything was bright and lit up and we were, you know, 35,000 feet over the highest mountain that was there. And I looked up above me, and it was pitch black up up above me. So, <laughs> it's, you know, and actually I was, I was, uh, I looked down about 35,000 feet below where I was. Uh, I saw a jet airplane, a commercial airliner just flying by, whipping by. So we were, we were that much higher than a, than a commercial airliner flies. It was just really interesting. That's over the top awesome. I've been interested in that high flying. I mean, I've seen Apollo 13, I don't know how many times. And we, I have buddies that are astronauts now that we, that we were in the SEAL teams with. And just, matter of fact, we were joking about it the other day and we were actually watching the movie. I was like, man, if I, Look, I, I I would love to go up into space, and I I would love to do all that. But if something went wrong, and then Houston called up and was like, "Hey, we need you to crunch some gimbal numbers," and I'd been, and they asked me what Houston said, I'd been like, "They they said we ain't gonna make it," because I I mean, <laughs> man, when y'all start having to crunch those damn numbers, dude, especially in the atmosphere that they were at up there, and and the part that you had played um, through all that too, man, it's just. It, it it's true, man. You have to know. You have to be on point to be able to fly up there and do that stuff. Well, yeah, yeah. The the thing about it, though, you know, when when you train for a uh, a flight like this, uh, you know, uh, 
a flight where they're, you know, an incentive flight. They're, they're just taking me up there to, to let me experience what our magnificent pilots do and all that, because I'm an, I'm an advocate for everybody in the military. So I get oh, to man. talk. Yeah, about that's that how we reward you. That's <laughs> the only way we can reward you for, for the service. I mean, you're our Bob Hope. So anybody, the, the only way we, I mean, a seal is if we could take you on a mission with us or something like that, that we would do that. But that's, that's how they, they repaid you. Is, He's is probably take, done that. Just can't tell anybody. Yeah. Right. No kidding. But yeah, I mean, you, well, it, may, it makes me a better advocate when you get to see, and I've, I've had the, the chance to experience a lot of cool things and the training, as I said, for this particular uh, event, this was uh, by the end of the day of the training and they're, they're cramming months and months of mm-hmm. training into your head in like six hours. So you can't help but feel like, what the hell am I doing? You know, what if this goes wrong and what if that goes wrong? Because that's what they're teaching you. They're teaching you how to respond if there's a fire in the cockpit. Emergency or procedures. If you got to eject at 70,000 feet or whatever. Oh, that'd be great. And so by the end of the day, you're, you're just kind of going, what the hell am I doing? And then the next day when I woke up, I was just, I was ready to go. And I got into the spacesuit and got in the airplane and we took off and it was magnificent. It was just really something special. That's awesome. I guess my next question would be, who do we need to talk to and put in a good word for us? <laughs> <laughs> well, and that, that's half well, yeah, that's You half, know all kinds of folks <laughs> in the military. You could probably find That's out. half the thing about know, you training to go, to go do that. I mean, and... If you talk to anybody, no, but no one ever brings this part up afterwards. So you, if you're going to do something intense like that, the training is so intense because you're not only training for the good part, you're training for the bad parts about it, which hopefully don't happen while you're up there. But because yeah, it's so no, chaotic, you have to you have to precondition yourself for something that's that, that could happen if you're not paying attention with what normally happens. And um, that that's absolutely right. And when you go, you know, you're pressurized in the spacesuit. At about twenty nine thousand feet, oh, and then you you know, but then you're going up, uh, you know, forty some thousand feet more than that, and uh, and you know, if if any little air bubbles get in into your brain or anything like that, the suit starts leaking or anything, all kinds of weird stuff can happen. There was one of one of my pilots who was training me about certain things. Uh, regarding hypoxia and all this different stuff, she actually experienced a malfunction. And she was up flying, you know, every U-2 pilot goes up by themselves. So you're up there flying a U-2 around at, you know, for 10 hours by yourself, spying on things. And uh, she actually had a malfunction, and she got bubbles in her brain. And so you just start going loopy. Mm -hmm. And they had this... They had to talk her down, and she was able to land the plane, you know, with bubbles in her brain, and she never went up again. Yeah. She now she was. I mean, that that was enough to stop her from from going up, because it was a really harrowing experience to just get her down, and she was able to land the plane. But now she was just training people and telling them what could go wrong, and she wasn't going to do it again. <laughs> I mean. So there's all kinds of goofy stuff that that our pilots go through. Unfortunately, within the last couple of years, we had a we had a pilot crash up at Beale. All right. Um, yep. Terrible uh, crash up there. He had you know five kids and 
just it's a dangerous you know it's a dangerous job that that you guys do you know on all fronts so i'm i'm with you all the way and trying to support wherever i can and the more i do with the military and see you know what what our navy does our air force does our army our marines our coast guard all everybody well the more i can see what they do actually up close and personal the more i can advocate for for how lucky we are to have people like you out there serving I tell you what, you, um, you tell your your friend that, that has um, she had that. Or I don't. I guess you can't call it. It's a gas embolism, and AG. I had one of those too. Similar situation, but underwater, and um, underwater, yeah. And boy, it put a whipping on me like you couldn't even believe, man. <laughs> and well, uh, did you were did you just kind of you just sort of lose control of being able to control your your limbs passed, and everything, yeah, passed, right? Well, actually, oh yeah, I, it was good. I because we. Had, I suffered the the embolism, but then I had surfaced, and then I went back down underwater, and I was underwater for probably three, four more hours, trying to ch- find a submarine, and and we finally found it. We locked in, and then I crawled down to the mess deck, and the doc was standing there, and he's like, "Man, I was I was watching you on a periscope. We had one hell of a launch. I mean, it was you couldn't even believe." And I had slammed wow. up against the side of the submarine, and then we went past it. So then I blew all the tanks, and then we we kind of floated up to the surface. Well, we sped up to the surface, and my regulator got pulled out of my mouth, and I held my breath. So I got an embolism, but we, we went back down, and it, so it, it condensed again. And uh, I, uh, when I crawled down in the sub, my doc was like, hey, strip. And when I got down to my dive skins, I passed out. I woke up about, I, don't know, I went through two chamber rides, long ones. And it, I mean, I lost, like, it, it damn near killed me, but, you know, I shook it off. What's up? <laughs> um that's what my brother and I finally, he had just graduated into, into the SEAL teams, and we got linked up right after that. So it, was, uh, it took and, me a while to— how, uh, how long did it take you before you—I'm uh, interviewing you, you know. How, how long did it take you before you, you did that again? Oh, I never embolized myself again. I try not to do that anymore. Oh, I probably have. Who no, knows? no, I mean, but just go Oh, down. I got back in the water. And, they and, put me back in the water, was it six months? Six months. Six months. I was back six in. Six months later. Mm-hmm. Yep, and um, I went up to Iraq. I got back, and then Afghanistan was after that. Well, that's uh, it's a dangerous, dangerous job, isn't it? It is. But the, the, I was talking to somebody who injured themselves doing something that they love, and the, and they asked me, "How do you what what is that? What do you do?" And I was like, "Well, it's basically there's a difference between being hurt and injured. And if you're if you're injured and you really love what you're doing, and, and it's a calling to you, then you're just starting all over at the basics, but you're going in with a different body." And that's how you kind of got to look at it. If you have kind of any impediment and then you just train yourself back up the ladder with everything that you know, and then your, your new body has kept catch up with it. And once it does, then you see what you're capable of and what you're not capable of. And, um, is, I mean, I, my point in making that is if she ever wanted to get back up in the air and the, the fear of doing that again, I, I remember that very vividly. I'm like, man, you don't want to hold your breath on ascent or, or descent kind of, kind of deal. But, um, yeah, I think she just made a decision, you know, that there she could continue, you know, serving in other capacities, but you know, trying to bring that airplane down under those conditions uh and land that airplane uh <laughs> that had to be just just great. All right, so let's circle uh, I got another question to hit you up a little bit, but let's circle over to uh your never quit story or something that you want to share with us and and our listeners, something that we don't know about uh Gary Sinise. How everybody has some sort of role that you play in their hearts and their homes, but give us a little shocker or something, something inside that we can uh, 
we can take the take all in. Well, gosh, I I just wrote a book and I spilled my guts. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> you did. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know. There, you know, um, what I talk about a bit in my book in different ways is that uh, for some reason, at an early age, um, I developed a kind of a do-it-yourself sort of approach to things maybe and and I examine it a little bit in my book it it could be because my dad was always at work um he had a had a he was a film editor and we we lived in the Chicago area and he was working in the advertising business and he would leave the house at 7 a.m. or or before and get home you know after I went to bed and uh so you know, I I was kind of on my own trying trying to figure out a lot of stuff. My mom was busy taking care of her mom and her sister and my brother and and my sister and she had her hands full. So I was kind of flinging all around in all directions and just sort of figuring stuff out. And I think some of that some of some of just having to do that or just, you know, doing it, you know, you know, uh kind of carried with me into later in life when I got into high school and starting a theater company and pushing really hard to to make a lot of that work and all of that. Um, I developed kind of a, I don't know if you call it a never quit attitude, but it was a uh, uh, never, kind of never think you can't do it kind <laughs> yeah, of attitude. I would say that's a never quit. Steppenwolf Theater Company, corporation or company? Company, right? Yeah, Steppenwolf Theater. I was I was 18 when we got that going. That's it's 45 something years just, old now. Yeah, some impressive names that have come through there, and uh, I didn't know that. But John Malkovich was one of the uh, yep. one of the founding fathers, I guess. He was he was there in 1976. 76. So yes, I started in 74, and uh, he came uh, in a couple years later, and then we really went at it, and uh, you know now that the theater company is. It's been around a long time. We built like three or four buildings, and I mean, it's kind of crazy what happened. You still heavily involved, or you know, no, I, I'll uh, I'll donate a little money here and there, or or something like that. But um, life after September 11th, life really took me in another direction. And the last play I did was uh, it closed on Broadway about five weeks before the attack uh, of September 11th. And that was the last play I did, and then I just started turning in a different direction. Okay, so I, I got a question for you: Were you really in Knots Landing? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. I, Great I, show. Yeah, <laughs> I I was in Knots Landing. I think it was nineteen seventy nine or eighty, 80 around nineteen eighty. <laughs> I think. How did, did yeah. that just all kick off because of? I guess because your father was your daddy. Yeah, yeah. or how? How's that? No. No, I I, uh, I left Chicago for about a year and a half, and my parents had moved out to California, and I was in Chicago. Had started the theater company, was was sticking with the theater, and then I decided to go out and stay with my parents and see if I could get some movie work. So I pitched, you know, jumped around all over the place trying to get something going. I couldn't really get much going. And right, and then I made the decision to go back to Chicago. And right before I was going to leave, 
uh, I had an agent who sent me out every once in a while, and he sent me on an audition for Nas Landing. I went and I got the part. It was just, it was just <laughs> like one one night shooting on a beach. I was a kid, you know, at a drunken party on a beach. And uh, I, I tried I to did. I tried to look that up, go into go go down the rabbit hole and try to find you, and you weren't even. It wasn't. It was one of those untitled. They didn't even give you a shout oh, out. I'll, I'll bet you could find it. <laughs> you look Gary Sinise knots landing, and you know, you might you might find it on YouTube or something like that. Over the years, and, and as many different films as you've done, and, and both drama, comedy, all across the board, actually, what what's your favorite? I mean, or do you have one, or is it as oh, basically what I'm wondering? Is it as fun as it looks when we're watching it? Well, it's well, it, it all depends on what it is. Um, I don't know if I, I I don't know what it's hard to say what my favorite thing is. I've done some some things that I've really enjoyed in in the theater and on television and movie parts. I think of Mice and Men happens to be a personal favorite because I it was one of the first experiences I had uh, as a young theater high schooler i saw the play and then then i ended up doing the play 10 years later and then i ended up being able to get the rights and make a movie of it and i produced it and and was in it and uh directed it and it was just a personal favorite so that one always stands out a little bit i write about that journey in my book uh with of mice and men but there have been a lot of great experiences. Lieutenant Dan, of course, is a, is a fun one and and a good one, and played a you know a, a, a bigger role in my life than than just a movie part. I, I I could never have predicted all those years ago that you know the the character would take on this uh, sort of role that it has with the Disabled American Veterans Organization and our uh, active duty folks and our wounded post September 11th and and all of that and you know I got a band named after the character and all that so I, I mean it's actually 25 years ago you nailed that there's certain people in our I consider uh, the United States we're one big family I mean it is, that's just the way it is man and we have those in our family that can show you what the rest of the family looks like and acts like and in different generations throughout our, our kind of timeline. And a lot of actors can't, most actors can't do that. They have one little deal. They're good at their niche. They are a comedy. They're serious. But every now and again, you'll see somebody who can truly take over, uh, who they're trying to portray so much so that we expect we you look to at have you one. as, you, as who, actually who you are. <laughs> I mean, that's how you know you're good at it. When people call you by something, you, your other name, right? And when you were, when, when I'm sure that happens to you when you go overseas, everybody refers to you as Lieutenant Dan. Well, that 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 happened for a long time, and uh, uh, yeah, the younger generation probably doesn't. But that's my point, man. It's like you get to, through both of those generations, and and then with the military, when you got to understand, a lot of those times when we're over in the combat zones, we we turn on the TV to pull us out of that reality to put us in a different one, and a lot of times we're watching war movies because you guys fire us up. I mean, that's uh, we would always watch the Nam guys, World War II guys, to get us fired up about what we would go have to do. And um, after being in the military for as long as we were, I mean, you nailed that part. I, I, I thought for sure that was just real as off, more than off the cuff, man. I, <laughs> well, I'm serious. I, we know guys exactly like you guys played it out. I mean, <laughs> as if they were playing you playing somebody else. The dude playing the dude playing the dude. I mean, 
there's there were times, especially in the teens, we 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 watch movies so much that the the one liners become kind of come our become our lines. I mean, we when we go into our program, they jerk everything we ever were away from us, and the, how we get our personalities is we watch movies about our you know everybody else, and that's why the one liners. Uh, Steel teams, we could have a conversation for hours and no one have any idea what we're talking about because it's all like movie quotes. And they literally throw those out while we're in the middle of combat. And it just brings levity to the whole moment. I mean, you you couldn't even believe it sometimes. And, no kidding. Uh, oh, and you weren't screaming Lieutenant Dan lines or anything, were you? I've, I've well, dropped, face, face I've dropped, day, that, I've dropped that. Are you guys brothers? <laughs> no, we're, we're not related. We're not related. <laughs> we are no relation, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, uh, I'm I'm glad that we can bring some levity uh, to a serious situation through entertainment. Um, you know, I've I've tried to tried to do that uh, over the years by just showing up, and you know, if somebody wants to call me Lieutenant Dan when I'm in the war zone or whatever, <laughs> that's fine with me. Yeah, uh, so the yeah the movie ro- the Lieutenant Dan role obviously springboarded you into your involvement with the veteran space. Now I, I'm just making that that gross assumption, but it seems like that's how that happened. Is, I got to think that because other people have played roles in movies that were were not necessarily similar, but an active role in a military movie. But you 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 grabbed a hold of us, and I say us the veteran the veterans, and you never left us. I was I was just curious why, and I'm not questioning. I'm just why is that? What did, did you see? Did you hear? And I I know that's something that you feel deep down inside your heart because of where you go and what you do and the admiration you show for us. And again, we can't thank you enough. But you seem to be one of a very select few fraternity and a fraternity that that help, that that support us. What drives that? You know, it's accumulative. There, um, you know, I could never have predicted. Uh, 25, 30, 40 years ago or something where I would be now. I mean, who can? Um, But, you know, having veterans in my family, on both my side of the family and my wife's side of the family, lots of veterans there, um, having been involved with Vietnam veterans back in the 80s, uh, supporting them in different ways because of, of you know of the Vietnam veterans on my wife's side of the family that I met they they really woke me up back in the late seventies and early eighties and so I started supporting them in different ways and then along comes uh, in the nineties this opportunity to to audition for Forrest Gump and 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 play a disabled Vietnam veteran uh, that led me to an association with working with the DAV and, and in fact. Just yesterday, we posted something on the Gary Sinise Foundation website. Yesterday was the exact day, 25 years ago, that I first went to the Disabled American Veterans Organization to their national convention. They gave me an award 25 years ago yesterday. And it started an association with working with our wounded that manifested itself into a complete and total commitment post-September 11th when we started having so many come back from the war zones injured. And 
you know, we started losing people, and you know, I just, it just became a full-on commitment. And I, I think so. It's a series of events. Forrest Gump and Lieutenant Dan, and and all of that played a significant role for sure because it led me to to start working with our wounded all those years. But uh, ago, but you know, I'm. I value my freedom. I know where it comes from, guys. I I know who protects it for me. I know who fights for it for me. And I I feel uh, passionate about trying to do what I can to to give back and to support. And I want my kids to know that. I want my kids to know where it comes from. Uh, it doesn't come for nothing, and people have to sacrifice for it. If somebody's going to do that for me, then uh, you know uh, I. I feel like I've been blessed with great success and and great, uh, you know, there, there's so many wonderful things that have happened to me in, in my life, and I wouldn't have had any of that without the freedom to succeed and, and to try things and to do things. And uh, I know where that comes from, and I value you guys for providing it for me. And if I can take a little bit of my success and, and shine a spotlight uh, on on folks that are you know deserving of that, and that's the way that I can give back. That's the way that I can serve. And now it's a uh, it's a full time full time thing, full time commitment. Um, a major foundation that's doing a lot of great work, and and we're just trying to do what we can to make sure that you know that you're you're appreciated. God bless you. I wasn't kidding. Bob hopes that wasn't his his title. I think his first name was Leslie or something. But and it, and it, his progression started like that too. And Lieutenant Dan is more like a title for you now. And I, it's one of you're our generation, Bob Hope. I'm not kidding about that. No one else does that. It may have started out as a, as an anonymous name in in a, in a movie, but then it, it has morphed into something to where hey, if anybody was going to come out here and, and hang out with us troops in this middle of this, Lieutenant Dan would. You know what I mean? You know, that, you know, I've I've read um, Bob Hope uh, after his first. Uh, tour uh, overseas uh, during World War II. Uh, he came. He came home and he wrote a quickly. Quickly put a book together. It's called "I Never Left Home," and it documents. It, you know, it's basically the document of his early, early, uh, you know, visits to our troops and you know what that was like going into into Europe and and whatnot and. Uh, it, it is very much the same. I mean, he, he, he talks about the impact that it made on him and, you know, how how he felt that he was also, by just showing up, he was he was making an impact. He was have, making a difference, and he was uh, raising morale and, and raising spirits and improving mental health of the people that were out there serving and everything. And the, and the same thing happened to me. I mean, why would I continue to do this for so many years if I didn't see that it was providing a service? You know, it was doing something positive for somebody. You you, you know, there I've been on too many trips and I've put too many miles and too much money into it to give up because I've seen the impact that it makes. And I feel like it does make a difference when you just show up. And so after showing up once, I wanted to show up again and show up again. And then, great, you know, I started showing up for lots of different military charities and helping them raise money. And that's the way that I was serving uh, is by helping others uh, with their missions. And then it became clear to me at a certain point that 
that this was a this was a, a lifetime mission and I should just create my own foundation, which is what I did. I still support others as well, but now it's a full-time service mission, and uh, you know I hope it continues for many, many years, and and you know lives on beyond me helping people uh, that deserve it. I tell you what, man, they need to tack you up for one of those world most interesting man contests because there's you got one life to live, and you can live multiple in that. And there's two kinds of people: there's those of us who go out and make the adventures and live them, and then there you know the ones that write about them and then tell people about them. You've done both. It's just got to be an exciting life. When everything's different and every day it changes, because there's nothing new under the sun, just the people, right? And war is war. It's just different in how we kill each other. But you, when you find that camaraderie of, of guys who are willing to stand together to defend the one thing that, that holds us together, sometimes it makes us feel good when those of, the, of us that, we're, that are getting protected come out and see us and, and tell them thanks, right? Even, on, even out there. Well, I hope it does, Mark. I Look, um... You know, I know that I've been in the war zones. I mean, this is you know, it's happened multiple times to me. You know, I'm I'm not a soldier. I'm just a, I'm I'm an entertainer and, and somebody who cares about our service members. But I've been impacted so much by the thousands of people I've met uh, across across the years and around the world, and you know, and their families. You know, it's happened. Many times I write about some some of these things in my book where a mother will come up with a picture of me with her son and she'll tell me it it was the last picture that that was taken and then he got killed the day after I left or something and you don't forget that stuff you know no. uh, uh, for me you know to see that and to have that mother know that I was going to be in an event and she showed up and brought that picture to show me and tell me that. I mean, I'll get. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'll get choked up if I talk about it too much. But. Yeah, that's moving. That's moving in all different directions. Somebody asked. I was somewhere giving a talk, and somebody asked me if uh, if a warrior was born or if uh, if he was kind of molded or created. And I didn't have an answer at the time. I went back and started thinking about it, and I, I, I everyone is born and in, in if you want to look at this arena as a battlefield, that's fine. Yeah, uh, most people mistake warriors in the ultimate capacity with which is the pugilist right and then the warriors what we do with when we kill each other but you can be a warrior for you know law and order or or for love and peace and medicine and for the arts i mean and, and through throughout your life you kind of everyone that you run into is think of them as a stone and you're a blade and they're either going to sharpen you or dull you or polish you out and it's, you, know, you think that the time start to get dulled out and everything and look around and check out who's around you and then as, when you, as you go pr- progress through this, man, you become that, that warrior for, for the arts because that's, that's what lets us know what's beautiful about our people. Our, our family motto, I'm probably going to butcher his head and say it a while, but that what is acquired by war must be protected by art. And, I mean, there's, there's a lot of truth in that because why go to war if, if, if what's, what's that all about is to create something. And then throughout all that, man, we, we bond as a, as a country into a family. And there's people out there that show us how important that is and what that what that means. So, thanks for doing that. Well, yeah, and I hope you'd never never forget that. You know, I mean, it's uh, you know, I've I, I've said this. I've I've played uh, almost 500 concerts for the military over the last 16 years, 
And I always talk to them uh, and just remind them because sometimes you can be out there serving and you're getting your butt kicked and, you know, it's rough and and, uh, you wonder if anybody gives a crap, you know. And I like to remind them on these military bases and war zones and places, hospitals and whatnot, that there are people that give a crap. And that don't take it for granted, and I'm one of them. And uh, if if spreading that message can change somebody's direction that day from something, uh, you know, from a, a bad day to a good day, then maybe maybe you know I'm doing some good. Absolutely. And that door and, swings both ways. Yeah, right? I got a question for you, sir. The Gary Sneeze Foundation is it. So there's 45,000 service veteran organizations in the country. 45,000. Um, yeah, definitely yours is at the top of the list when it comes to trustworthiness. You said that you had worked for some other ones besides besides your own. Now, for our listeners out there, if they're looking to if they're looking to kind of diversify their portfolio, I'm curious personally because I'm a part of a couple of foundations. I'm just curious which ones do you you also support besides your own? There's different ones. You have you have the you know the over hundred million dollar foundations, pretty big ones out there that have been around a long time. The DAV and the USO and and some of these that have been out there. Um, you know, I started some of the some of the work that I started post September 11th started through the USO because I'm an entertainer, right? I'm a I, I said I want to go. I want to go visit the troops. What, what do I do? How do I get there? So I called the USO up and I, I said, you know, I want to volunteer and go. Uh, so I've done a lot, multiple things with them over over the years, and a lot of the entertainment and and early trips that I've made uh, were made in with their support. Um, you know, uh, so you know, and I still do some things with them, but. You know, where I used to rely on uh, the USO to uh, support a concert or, you know, book me somewhere on some base or something like that, I've done it so much now, and I've got my own foundation, uh, uh, and my band is a program of my foundation that we don't we don't have to rely on anybody to 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 book us. If I want to go somewhere, I'll just call up the CG and, and <laughs> ask them if, right. if, they, if down, they want right. me to come. And you know, ninety nine percent of the time they say they say yes. You know, so um, that that's good. But uh, the USO has been reputable and and done great things uh, to to keep the morale up and everything. Um, but I've I've supported quite a quite a number of organizations. Uh, over the years, you know, Hope for the Warriors is is one that I started supporting uh, well over a dozen years ago, and uh, before I had my own foundation, and that was, you know, so many of these organizations were just started by people like me, who wanted to try to figure out how to do something to help, and you know, that was started by military wives, and uh, you know, wanting to help. Uh, wounded, and so they they did that. Uh, Semper Fi Fund is another one. Right, yeah, good one. Uh, Naval Special Warfare Foundation. I mean, there's a there's a ton of good ones out there. Um, you know, there's there's these over hundred million dollar ones. You know, at the top. And then there's, you know, like you say, I, I'm well aware of the number of uh, organizations there are that have popped up to support the military. I think I think in some ways. 
it's a very similar reaction uh, that that I had when when I jumped into this stuff, which was I come from the you know I was I was 18 years old in 1973 when combat operations ended in Vietnam, and I remember very well what it was like for our Vietnam veterans to come home where there weren't that many services being provided, where the nation turned its back on them, where it was a terrible time for the Army. It was just a terrible, difficult time for the military post-Vietnam. And our Vietnam veterans got pushed into the shadows or they disappeared on their own and had a lot of trouble. And when we started sending people out in reaction to the attacks of September 11th and they started getting hurt and started getting killed, and their families started struggling and whatnot. I think there were a lot of people that said, you know, that's not going to happen again. You know, we're not going to let our service members go off to war and come home to a nation that was divided and and uh, turning its back. And, you know, you could see it happening back in I don't, you guys remember. I mean, you could see it happening in 2004, 2005, 6, 7. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the media atmosphere against the war was really terrible. And, you know, there was a lot of negative stuff in the media about what, what we were doing. And, uh, and I didn't want our service members who were sitting over in the war, war zones watching TV to be affected by that. So that was a catalyst for me to dive in. If you if you go to my foundation uh, website and you look on the founder page and you go to appearances and you go to those days, 2005, 6, 7, 8, you can look at the service history of travel. And I was out like every, <laughs> I was gone all the time. And I was just reacting to what I was seeing on television, which was – I you know, all this negative stuff about the Iraq war and whatnot. And I didn't want our service members to be feeling like they were serving for nothing. And so that's why I volunteered so much. I was going out all the time and doing multiple things on multiple fronts constantly. And it was because I was motivated by what happened to my Vietnam veteran brother brothers-in-law when they came home from war and got crapped on and everything else, and I didn't want our active duty service members uh, going to Iraq and Afghanistan to feel that way. I wanted them to feel supported and appreciated, so we sure I was appreciate trying to go out there and just run around and do all that. I don't know how all the, I mean, out. all the traveling you've done over the years, what you, do you have a memory that just kind of sticks in there? That doesn't have, I mean, your fondest memory? One that you would bring up in open conversation yeah, to say, just you know like, what, man, one you, time... You don't believe this. <laughs> I, got, I got a lot of them. Um, you got to be one that, that rises to the top. Too many. There, there's a there's kind of a funny story when I, when I was over in Iraq with Wayne Newton on a on a trip. Wayne Newton. With, that, with Wayne Newton. Yeah, I'm over there with Wayne, and I was with uh, with uh, uh, with Wayne and uh, uh, another guy named Neil McCoy, country oh, yeah. singer. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Personally, yeah. yeah, great no, guy. Really you, guy. You know Neil? Oh, yeah. Okay. Really funny guy, Hilarious. good guy. And um, Neil's there, and Chris Isaac is also there, and some Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders and stuff. We're running around Iraq visiting people and everything. And we were at, um, I think it was uh, in Balad, uh, 
uh, at Camp Anaconda. Yep. It's a, Been there know, a few times. The big, big, yep. Yeah, the big air base there, mm-hmm. right? And they had a hospital there. It was kind of a tent hospital, and uh, we we were walking around visiting everybody, and they say, hey, there's an operation going on in there. And we looked in this little window, and uh, the doctor had his back to us, and he's operating on somebody. Uh, and then, you know, they're looking down, and they're operating, and Wayne and I stuck our faces into the window, and we're looking through the window, and the nurse looks up and she sees Wayne Newton's face <laughs> and in the window, and she nudges the doctor and says, "Look, there's Wayne Newton." <laughs> and uh, the doctor turns around with his scalpel and and he says, "Hey, Wayne, come on in." <laughs> so me and Wayne walk in, and and you know it wasn't a serious operation. Uh, you know, obviously, if he was, you know, if it was a big deal, he wouldn't have. You know, been oh, yeah, distracted no, no, yeah. by yeah, that. Yeah. But he turned around. I think he was putting stitches in somebody's arm or something. But he turned around, and we're like, "Should we go in?" I mean, he's operating on somebody. And he he he, he grabs his camera and he stops everything. And he, you know, we're taking a picture with a guy right in the middle of the operation. That's awesome. I hope and that guy I got the it, picture. I thought that now that was mash. It was like mash, right? Sure, know? exactly. That that was your that was your mash moment. Yeah, it was something like what would, would happen in MASH. You know, let's stop and go get our picture taken with Wayne Newton. Yeah, that's Wayne yeah. Newton and Gary Sinise. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, thank you again for, for coming out here and doing this. And and, and I, I just want to personally say thank you from from the bottom of our heart and from our family and from, from veterans on, on this side, man. I as much time as you put on the road and everything that you put into this, it, I mean, it doesn't go unnoticed. I mean, a lot, there's a lot of times when most of us out here can't, can't get to you to tell you that man, but it, it, um, you truly are our generation of, of, you know, hope, right. You're the one that you're our link to, that was back to the, to the civilian side that reminded us of how, how wonderful everything was, man. So that, that fire that you carry it, it's, it's real, man. You know, God bless you with a good, um, uh, a good heart and a good purpose, and you're following it. So, and I, we won't ever be able to thank you enough. You don't, you don't have to. You've already done your, your job. I'm just grateful uh, to to live in this country and to have people that uh, that are willing to to serve and protect it. And so, if I can do a little bit uh, to to help out, that's that's what I'm trying to do. It's uh, that's why I wrote my book. The book is called uh, Grateful American, A Journey from Self to Service. And it really is about, you know, a lot of challenging things that happened in my life uh, that culminated and manifested into a life that's dedicated to, to serving others. And uh, there's there's really no thanks necessary for me. I'm just, I'm just pitching in, bud. Where can our listeners get the book and where can they follow you? Uh, you go to GarySiniseFoundation.org. Uh, the book, the book's on there, but there's all kinds of programs and uh, all kinds of good things that we're doing uh, out there. And uh, I got a, I got a wonderful team of people uh, helping to fulfill the mission and and keep things going so that I can go out and and uh, kind of hit the road when I need to. I'll tell you what, um, you, welcome you to Team Never Quit. Yeah, yeah, if you ever if need, you ever need us, anything from us, holler up. Don't hesitate to ask. We'll, we'll come, come running. running for you. 
I, I sure, I sure will, guys. It's great to talk to you, and both, uh, thank you both for for serving our country. Uh, Mark, I just did a, uh, just happened to do a movie with Mark Wahlberg, uh, Marcus. Oh, uh, did you have so, fun? Uh, yeah, we did. We just did a little Mark. Uh, Mark, uh, I've known him for a while, and he called me up and asked me to come. He he produced a little movie and kind of an independent uh, film, and uh, I went and did a little part on it, so sp- spent some good time with him. Man, that's great. I keep, yeah, we keep in touch. I love that family, and uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my, for, for whatever nightmare stories you think you hear about Hollywood, man, when I was up there, it was unbelievable. I enjoyed every second of it, and everybody I ever met up there, I still keep in contact with, up and including uh, Peter Berg. I mean, his... Pete's an old friend of mine from back in the early 90s. We did a movie together years ago when he was acting. (laughs) Right? Great white hype. God bless you guys. All right, brother. Take care of yourself, man. Yep. Super lucky to have Gary Sinise, aka Lieutenant Dan, on the show today. What a sweet interview! I guess, like, not only a Hollywood icon, but that's a title now. That's well like respected. Lieutenant the, Dan's like a rank. Yeah, she started calling it. It was Bob Hope. Now it's Lieutenant Dan. Such a humble guy, too. Oh man, especially all, after all of his success. He was so cool. So cool. What was your biggest takeaway from today's episode? His humility and the fact that he really he, he serves because he he. he Serves the veteran space and first responders because he loves to do it. Yeah. Nobody's telling him to do it. Nobody's asking him to do it. He's not in it for the money, the fame, or the fortune. He literally does it because he wants to help. Yeah. You can tell that because it's hard to explain it. Yeah. You can, you'll find that in a lot of people. It was incredible that he brought up the fact that he was like basically post-Iraq war, he was basically booked every single weekend because he didn't want people, he didn't want those guys coming home to feel like the guys from the Vietnam War coming back felt the same way. And so he just like, made it a point to be be out and doing stuff said the media was bad mouth in the military and the and the mission the overall mission and he didn't want them to hear that which is true i mean overall when the when the attitude shifts on a war it's not the politicians that put us in the war that take the heat it's the the guys in the uniform the you know the, what, what everyone's looking at so i mean um yeah good on you for that brother to, to for watching our backs and keeping hope alive god bless god bless yeah you, man. thanks guys for tuning in we're out if you want to be the first one to know when we drop new episodes and you need to make sure you've subscribed to the show you can press the purple subscribe button on apple podcasts or any other major podcast player to be notified the moment we release a new episode did today's episode ignite a new fire in you if there's one thing that i've learned it's that sharing your story is a powerful thing there are people out there that need a kick in the ass and your story could be the one thing that changes their life forever Take a minute to share your story at teamneverquit.com forward slash podcast. Hit the share your story button in the menu so we can encourage you along the way. Your story just might be shared on one of our upcoming episodes. And if you're already following us on Facebook and Instagram, then you know we keep our followers up to date with all the things we've got going on. And if you're not following us yet, you're missing out. Follow us right now at team underscore never quit. You can also keep up with Marcus at Marcus Luttrell. Morgan, who doesn't post very often, but he still posts at Mojo Luttrell. And me at Andrew Brockenbush on Instagram. 